Welcome to Sundial. I'm Kate Payne. Carlos Frias is out today. Vanessa Garcia sees the relationship between Cuba and Miami as a long conversation, a call and response, a song echoing across the water. As a writer and the child of Cuban immigrants, she grew up hearing stories of escape and exile from her parents and grandparents, those rich histories ladled out alongside her abuelos' black beans. Later, she went off to rediscover Cuba for herself. Now, Vanessa uses her work as a playwright, a children's book author, and an essayist to ask, where is home? And how can we carry it with us, like a handful of seashells or a loaf of Cuban bread? One of her latest projects is the play Sweet Goats and Blueberry Senoritas. In the play, a Cuban-American from Miami moves to Maine and opens a bakery. As she makes Cuban pastries with local ingredients, she wonders if home is a place, a person, or an identity. To write the play, Vanessa teamed up with someone who calls both Maine and Miami home, the award-winning poet Richard Blanco. Sweet Goats and Blueberry Senoritas premiered in Portland earlier this year, and now they brought it home to Miami. It's playing at the Actors Playhouse in Coral Gables through December 3rd. To talk to us about telling family stories through food and the stage is Vanessa Garcia. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I love being here. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Uh, and I saw the play the other night. Oh, yay. Yeah, yeah, loved it. We laughed, we cried. Uh, it was it was a really beautiful blend of, of so many stories, and, and it felt so Miami. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely has a Miami soul. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we felt that, we felt that, uh, but transported to Maine. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I was curious, you know, just at the outset, how do you translate Miami to Maine? Yeah, um, well, that's the that's the sort of the struggle of the central character, right, mm-hmm. in this play, whose name is Beatriz, and she's a baker who lives in, in Maine. Um, and I co-wrote this with, with Richard Blanco, who lives a great deal mm-hmm. in Maine. But mm-hmm. I was also there in January, the, the play... In January. Um, in oh January. Freezing, Freezing, for one. That's when <laughs> we premiered the play in, Jan- in early this year, like right at the beginning of the year. So it was it was it it did feel like... In the rehearsal room, there were these moments that it did feel like we were bringing this like Cuban moment, this Cuban American space and and everything into the rehearsal space and then having a total conversation with the actors that were from Maine. Because there's three characters that are from Maine and, you know, the rest of the cast is Cuban American. So it was... um, You know, it's, it's sort of like this idea of the play is very much about, you know, here is this place, Maine. Specifically Portland, where where this play premiered, but also little towns like the mm-hmm. one that Richard lives in, Bethel, where everyone for a long time, if you weren't from Maine and three generations in the ground, like they say, right, mm-hmm. you were from away. And the truth is that it's really hard to find a place in the United States where that's really a reality anymore. Sure. We're very intermingled. And I feel that Miami has known that forever you know that's who we are at our soul we are an intermingling boisterous community constantly changing Mm -hmm. so much newness yep all the time and that's i think if we look at that as a positive microcosm for the united states we're in a good place so but that is you know that that space where here's this baker in maine and i have these i don't want to lose myself and i also you know want to know what this place is and I want to exchange stories and I want to know you and you should know me and let's you know let's talk that's what is at the center of this 
piece and the food she makes. Yes. Yeah. Finding the sweetness <laughs> yeah. in that. And she's literally blending, yeah. you know, carrying her family's recipes with her mm-hmm. and then blending it with the local flavors and ingredients in a way that can can resonate with them. Absolutely. So she 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 takes um, for anybody who's had a pastelito de guayaba mm-hmm. y queso, mm-hmm. um, she takes that and puts goat cheese in it because her friend uh creates uh makes goat cheese mm-hmm. right uh he discovers that you know he's a good cheese maker uh and she he they do that and they he shares that with her and then she creates this this new you know baked good that is a sweet goat it turns out to be the sweet goat uh-huh. you know because everybody always asks well what's the sweet goat <laughs> And can I say, through the whole play, I was waiting of like, when can I have one? Yes. <laughs> like, give me this week out. <laughs> so let me tell you, part of this is like, Richard and I are like trademarking this thing because we want to actually make them. Wow. So if there are bakers out there, you know, like Pastelito Papi, talking to you. Shout out. <laughs> and others <laughs> who want to make it with us, let's make it because they think it could be really fun, you know? For sure. Yeah. And so Richard, Richard Blanco, yes. of course, uh, award-winning poet, uh-huh. uh, now turned playwright yeah. in this collaboration with you. Uh, how how did that partnership come to be between you and Richard? How did how did you meet him? That was like one of the most fun and organic <laughs> meetings that, you know, that has happened in my life recently that is sort of just this wonderful little jewel, you mm-hmm. know, that that came out of a moment. So Richard and I, you know, like in the in the little, you know, whatever we're in, the little literary circle or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in Miami and elsewhere of uh, people who are Cuban-Americans and are writers and et cetera and have a relationship with this wonderful city. We always, you know, we're sort of circling around each other and maybe had like shake, you know, like did a little intro handshake mm-hmm. at some point, but we never had met each other. We hadn't actually met. And he went to go see um, the Amparo experience when when it was up uh, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was an immersive theater experience. Yes. So the Amparo experience was uh, a play that that um, I wrote that wasn't that's hard to call a play because it was really a theatrical experience. There was, you know, a, a, multiple ways to see the play. You could mm-hmm. come back 23 times and see it differently, you know? So it, it was an immersive theatrical experience that you walked into a villa and you were part of the experience and it took you from 1957 to the present, um, from Cuba to Miami. Mm-hmm. And it followed the story of um, the Arechavala family who who created Havana Club Rum, from whom the, the brand was stolen and nationalized by the Cuban government. Mm-hmm. Eventually that that, you know, that brand, that recipe of the rum got sold to Bacardi and then there was a huge story and Bacardi sponsored this this theatrical experience, which was awesome to create, you know. Um, so Richard saw it and, Richard and, sees and it. And- Richard sees it, he comes, he sees it, he's like, hey, this is really cool, let's go have a drink. So then, great, right, <laughs> like, sure, let's go do that. And then we end up at, you know, tap 42 in, in Coral Gables having martinis. And <laughs> somehow at the end of that conversation, we were writing a play together. Wow. <laughs> like, I mean, it was, it was kind strange. of, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was really great. He was, he had been commissioned um, by Portland stage to write a piece. And in the conversations back and forth, it was like, you know, I was like, I would totally write it with you. Who's like, you would write it with me. Can we write it together? Can we do this thing? And somehow, no. you know, we we said, OK, let's do this. Um, and there's and a lot of trust and kind of vulnerability. There in that is moment. No, there is. I thought Over it was a couple of martinis. Totally. Maybe boom. because of 
<laughs> but honestly, he's an amazing person. And you just kind of like, you know, for me on my end, you kind of like trust him instinctually. You know who he, mm-hmm. who he is and his mm-hmm. work and then vice versa. It was incredibly a generous act to be like, hey, you want to do this with me? Um, and then get it done. Yeah. And then we did it. Yeah. So then he went back and said, is it okay if I bring a co-writer and Anita Stewart, who's the artistic director at Portland Stage, said, yes, totally good. And, you know, we started writing. And Mm -hmm. the thing is that that was 2019. So, of course, what happens after? Of course. Everybody knows. We don't even have to say it, but 2020 (laughs) and the pandemic's here. And we're like, well, let's still write this thing, you know, Um, at some point theater has to come back it's mm-hmm. part of our our you know our human fabric mm-hmm. so somehow it's gonna have to come back in some way shape or form but it you know we wrote it on zoom wow we wrote it on google docs and we wrote it that way and and the the idea of the play in itself if you go see it is that the, the it, on paper there are frames instead of scenes and that is very much driven by the fact that we were all framed in a way mm. in our little islands mm-hmm. throughout the pandemic. And that's how we we created it with the construct of there'll be a moment where all those frames are lifted and we'll <laughs> be together. Mm. And that sort of happens in the play. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Uh, for the setting, it is it's sort of maybe five or so different sets within the larger set and so you can see the main character Bea, her estranged mother in Miami, yep. sharing the same space in a sense yeah. but still very separated by the miles and, and in their relationship still still yeah. estranged. Yeah. But. I think they did a great job yeah. of, of showing that somehow and it's just so cool to think about like you know how these little seeds of ideas start and then what happens on stage mm-hmm. but I think they did a lovely job of of showing us how we are in our little islands but we're all intertwined mm-hmm. at the same time sort of joined by this cardinal that that takes place in mm-hmm. the in the play. Yeah the bird of yeah. Bea seeing visions of, yeah. of a bird who yeah, uh, it's sort of a, a message from her mother. I yes, guess. yes, yeah. it's definitely a message, a bird with a message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm curious in working with Richard Blanco again, you know, who is so accomplished mm-hmm. in his space, uh, and then moving into playwriting mm-hmm. uh, alongside you. What was that like to sort of, you know, he's yeah. he's this institution, right. but then you're sort of maybe as a mentor to him in the playwriting is is that something that played out of, of it, that it was for sure fast I will say this I'm gonna like backtrack a little bit just mm-hmm. to say that you know what was so cool was that um like I remember being in LA when I was living in LA with my sister and um we were watching the inauguration Obama's mm. inauguration where he was the inaugural poet yes and I just I have there are those few moments in your life where you have I just remember where I was standing what mm. I was doing what I was looking I was standing behind the couch and looking at it and I was like oh my god there's a Cuban you know like there's a Cuban boy <laughs> up on you know with you the know, president yes of the United States. with the president of the United States speaking beautiful words mm-hmm. you know and it was it like it filled us in that room in you know in that little living room in LA at mm-hmm. the time and you know I'm a you know I'm a writer my sister's an actress so the idea of what art can do and what you can you know convey through it through words it's just it was magical and that was a long time ago you know and I just remember thinking this 
I think it, like it just imprinted in me, you know. Mm. So of course, then later you you know you meet him and are riding with him. You're just like, wow, you you recall back to that moment, and you like I just feel very grateful, you know, for the experience. But um, but to to answer your question, he was also so open mm -hmm. to to having a real and true collaboration. So that was really really exciting, you know. It was really about. Um, you know, what are, what, how are we gonna, how are we gonna make this the best play possible and mm -hmm. also have a lot of fun while we're doing it? We never lost that and mm -hmm. that was great. Yeah. yeah, even through COVID, even yeah. through everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and I think Vanessa, is, th is there a section of the play you'd like to share with us? I can, I can do that. Um, it's a play, so I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna go back and forth a little bit here. Uh, yeah. let me and see. And our listeners know, you know, they've, we've yeah. done this before. They, they we've know done it before. Drill. You yeah. know, you know, I'm not an actor, people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, I'm a writer here, but, but yes. So I'll, I'll introduce it a little bit. Um, there's a section of the play where Bea is about to um, show the the recipe of sweet goats to mm. her uncle, and um, her uncle from Miami. Her uncle from visit. Miami, who <laughs> just appears out of the blue, kind of like barges in, <laughs> and he's like. Like like a very Cuban uncle is like you know I've been worried about you and since you're not gonna go to Miami because she's estranged with her mother then I'm bringing Miami to you uh -huh. and we're gonna see, we're gonna work this out okay yeah um so she's been playing with this recipe of sweet goats and she's about to get him to try it so that's that's the the scene I'm gonna I'm gonna read here and I'll do my best here but the two roles are Beatriz and Tio M and we start with Beatriz okay so she's offering the the treat hey. Since you don't seem to be cutting back on the sugar, do you want to try something? Not if it's a whoopie pie. It's not. It's, it's, a, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just try it. Okay. Dale. Here. And then she gives him, she gives him the treat. Um, looks like a pastelito to me. Yeah, but taste it. No, que rico. This isn't your abuelo's pastelito, that's for sure. What's in it? Goat cheese. You really like it? It's like, Guayabe queso crema with a little patadita. Your mother would love these. Don't ruin a perfectly good midnight snack. It's way past midnight. She's way too traditional anyway. She'd hate these. You don't know your mother. I've known her my entire life. And I've known her her entire life. She's a rebel and a fighter just like you. Yeah, right. Your Uncle Robbie, he was the traditional one. How the hell would I know? You guys never talk about him. We were trying to protect you. From what? heartache too late let's change the subject oh so so you can bring up my miami main crisis my miami main mommy crisis but i can't bring up Rodrigo. that's fair i hardly know anything about him except that picture in the living room where you're all still in cuba i hate that picture but you guys look so cute in it what do you want me to tell you literally anything Rodrigo, i'm sure of it is why i don't have a family how's that Jesus, this is why I left all the drama. You asked, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Why did Robertico stay in Cuba? Why did you move to Maine? Oh my God. When mommy and papi put me and your mom on that plane here to the U.S. alone, they didn't put Robertico because he was older. That's how Operation Pedro Pan worked. They only airlifted younger kids. I know that part. I got out of Cuba and he didn't and he hated me for that. What about mom? Mari was, I don't know, too little and a girl. At least, at least he had his parents. You guys just had each other. No one to look 
look over you except those priests and foster parents i mean i think about that all the time how you guys must have felt so alone that's not the way he saw it then why didn't he come with your parents when they finally were able to get out of cuba i don't know when i found out that he was dying of cancer in a hospital bed in Camagüey without sedatives or drugs or anything nah i should have gone right away you can't blame yourself for that it's the one thing i can blame myself for even if we hadn't spoken in years, even if Gua is impossible, even if he hated me, I should have smuggled in some morphine to help him or at least something, medicine, aspirina, que se yo. I should have held his hand so he could go in peace. You don't know that he didn't go in peace. I do. By the time I got there, it was too late. The pain was all over his face. It was right there, staring at me. Did you feel sad? I mean, you hadn't seen him in so long. Did you? Of course I did. He was my brother. Yeah, but I mean because you hadn't, but what? He was my brother and I wasn't there for him, punto y aparte. It's not like he was there for you. Blood is blood, why are you so bitter? We didn't raise you to be so bitter. I'm sorry, tío. Don't be sorry for me. Just make sure you don't end up sorry for you. You should talk to your mother. Mm. And to not give too much away yeah. for the folks who are, who are still going to go see the show. Uh, but there are family wounds in yeah. this story that really can't be healed either through you know separated by time by yeah. by circumstance um and you know by the divide between you know cuba and the united states mm -hmm. um how did you how do you wrestle with with that and and see that reflected maybe in in your own life of <laughs> That's yeah. separation. So I think one of the, the great tragedies of of the, the Cuban regime is that it has separated families for generations and generations. Um, there are, you know, the diehards that stay because um, they refuse to allow a country to be stolen from them. And then there are the people that have to leave um, because, because, you know, people like in my family that would have been killed otherwise or imprisoned and because um, they had to. So exile is something that is is true and is, you know, recently people tried to go out into the street, not, you know, mm -hmm. just a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, those people are now exiled, you know, and those people have now left children behind and and parents behind and family. Um, so that is one of those uh, truths of of the of the regime and the government in Cuba that it has created this diaspora of people that are, you know, separated families. I do think that um, there is a way to heal us. Obviously, this is by telling the story mm -hmm. over and over and over again and making sure that it's actually the true story because I think what ends up happening is that we have pieces of the story and we as Cuban Americans and Cubans and people of many different diasporas, not just this one, because sure. Cuba has affected um, Latin America and the rest of the world in a way that I think to this day people are not truly <laughs> in the understanding of how, how huge that, that actually has been. I mean, um, Venezuela, Nicaragua, all of these places uh, affected, you know, so there is that very much in this piece and there's a character who is um who was a pedro pan and mm -hmm. um that's the mom of beatriz who she, she doesn't she doesn't talk to her but for those that don't know operation pedro pan was essentially the largest exodus of unaccompanied youth in the western hemisphere to this date 
and very few people really know that story. There were 14,000 kids airlifted out of Cuba in the early 60s. Um, and in the story, the mom and the uncle were, were two of these you know, kids that, that left. And that clearly left a very deep wound in Bea's mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has affected their relationship. And I think what Beatriz comes to at a certain point is that at a certain point you do have to heal it. And for her, there is like the way that I tell stories, she makes these sweet coats, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and that doing is doing it over and over yeah. the you, baking and the kneading and the writing and telling the story, out. telling mm -hmm. the story and really and really t telling it from again from this place of truth, like this is who I am and where I come from. And this is why things are this way. And it's important for the world to know, mm -hmm. you know, she has this moment where she's like, you know, I didn't realize how hard it was to translate me here. Mm -hmm. And actually, it really is. And it's not just because like I eat different food and I feel like I dance to different music. It's actually because my story is unknown because I come from a place. I come from a way. I come from a way. <laughs> I come from a way and, and also from a place that like has tried to silence that story. Mm -hmm. And that's part of part of telling it, you know, over yeah. and over again. Yeah. yeah. Our guest today is Vanessa Garcia. She's a Cuban-American playwright, author, and essayist from Miami. If you missed any part of our conversation, all Sundial episodes are available on our daily podcast. So Vanessa, I wanted to talk about, you know, we've already spoken so much uh, in your new play about the role food really plays uh, in, in working through and, and sort of healing mm -hmm. some of these experiences for your characters. Uh, but I wanted to ask what role food has played in storytelling in your own family. Yeah, huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge role. Um, so, I mean, it's it's something that has been with me for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, I, it's with all of us, right? Sure. Th it's literally something that we do every single day, but it's not gotta just <laughs> we got to eat and we got to and, and we don't have to do this, but it's more wonderful when we do share it, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. we share meals together. Um, so, I mean, last year before Sweet Goats came out, I had a, a picture book, um, which was also about food. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it was, it's called What the Bread Says. And I think I'll, I'll start just with a little bit of that, of what, what led me to make that, because it's really why food is so huge, I think. Um, my grandfather taught me to bake bread, um, while telling me the family story. And mm -hmm. I'm talking about like, I was three years old, four years old, five years old. Mm -hmm. He had you know tons of books all around our house and he had an incredible story so he was born in spain had to you know cross the 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 pyrenees mountains on foot during wow. yes during uh, the spanish civil war with his brother to escape um he was a kid and he gets to france and then is a teenager in france and world war ii hits has mm. to escape gets on a boat with a bunch of Jewish kids es escaping the Nazis mm -hmm. um, ends up in Ellis Island. And because he doesn't want to get sent back, he says that he is Cuban. <laughs> him and his brother say we're Cuban. <laughs> so they send him to Cuba. Wow. <laughs> and that's how. <laughs> and you become he, Cuban. <laughs> and I become Cuban, yes. And so uh, the rest of my family, uh, you know, it was like has uh, longer roots in Cuba, but <laughs> that's his story. And mm -hmm. he, you know, he essentially escaped three tyrannies. And all along the way, um, he would always tell me like all you need in life is you know a piece of bread under your arm <laughs> and and uh and some wine <laughs> and that that 
is, you know, I think he eventually was, um, he led a, a baker's union in Cuba. Mm. Um, he, he fought through that um, within the island and did all kinds of things. But the point is that, you know, bread and making it was very much something that, that mattered in my house mm. and what it meant to put it together, weight while it was rising mm -hmm. and the baking. patience oh my god and kneading it's yeah, a workout it is you really have it to is. you dig. put a lot in it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it really is and so you know during those moments of waiting when he told me a lot of stories and eventually mm -hmm. i would sit him down and i when i was about 12 after you know all these pieces these little puzzle pieces mm -hmm. um i sat him down and i asked him to actually tell me from beginning to end hmm. like tell me the story but At start 12. yes because actually i had i had um we were talking about this in school we were talking about stories and essays mm. and all kinds of things and how how a story is constructed so sat him down recorded him and he told me the whole thing from beginning to end so that's when i was starting to put it together and then when i was 22 and he was 80 mm. we went backpacking uh together uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It was, it's an amazing story. Where did you go? We went to Spain and France. Oh, wow. Uh -huh, and we were supposed to go to um, Italy also, but we didn't make it there because everything went slower than we thought it would. I mean, He's he was 80. 80 years old. <laughs> but he was great. He was, he had a backpack with him the whole, like we wow. went backpacking. Yeah. 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 And he was, he, you know, he would be like, me partner. That was me, <laughs> like his little, like, you know, like he would say it with like this little Western accent and like we would... Yeah, we we shared a lot of meals, mm -hmm. um, but I do think that food is one of those things, and I say this a lot when I'm working with people, like theatrically and otherwise, because I think that food and music are these things that work vertically inside of us. Hmm. You know, story works horizontally, and so you carry a story and you tell a narrative, and it sort of like moves across a horizon line, but music and food move vertically, so it presses through our bodies, through our bodies mm -hmm. like almost from like you know the heavens to your roots <laughs> you know um and it does something it presses buttons that are different you know and it gathers memory in a different way mm -hmm. and it constructs reality in a different way and it allows us to cross boundaries in a different way hmm. both of those things and so i think when you bring them together story and food you have this really magic recipe magical recipe so Mm, that's yeah. beautiful yeah. and so i'm curious if if you're still baking bread these days yeah what you know baking? like th everybody did it during the pandemic sure there's <laughs> <laughs> a whole like the, a whole sourdough <laughs> situation yeah, yeah. yeah um but yes i yesterday we made yesterday yes yesterday <laughs> we made pizza we made pizza with my my son <laughs> um so we're always doing something you know and he like my son's five and my daughter is is three and they fight who gets to be on the the, the little learning tower that they stand on oh. while we're because it's like this little you know tower that you can stand on and get close to the uh, to the stove but obviously oh. far enough uh -huh. that you're not to be safe <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah but they both want to cook they do they wow. do yeah they do <laughs> and i'm not you know i'm not someone who cooks every single day i uh -huh. definitely am not I don't have time. It's tough. I don't do it. But I like to do it in a family. You know, mm -hmm. like when we have moments of sharing, it definitely is like weekends or, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. Mm -hmm. We're definitely going to cook, you know. <laughs> Noche Buena is all about the, the pig yes. roast. That's that's a whole thing. And I'm a vegetarian and I'm the one who brought the pig ah. roast back. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation, a whole I other think. One. Yeah. Cuban vegetarians. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. in 
and now raising your own kids, mm-hmm. um, I wonder, you know, how, how are you sharing those stories yeah. as, as you're in the kitchen? Yeah, I mean, I try and talk about Cuba as much as possible, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they. It's funny because I think my son might be listening to this right now. Mm-hmm. If you are, hi, Taika. <laughs> I say that because he asked, but hi, Marina, if you're there too. <laughs> um, because he was like, oh, you're going to go, you know, you're going to go talk about this. He knows that, that I talk about this and I do this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and my little one is sort of starting to understand these things, but I think the idea of, you know, where we're from is always a conversation in the house. And then their, their dad is from Uruguay. So Mm. that's a whole other Mm -hmm. lovely, you know, beautiful, uh, root system that, that they get to learn about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's constant, constant story, constant conversation, constant talking about, they love. Papan's book, as they mm-hmm. call it, my grandfather's mm-hmm. book. Yeah, the, um, the children's book. The children's book, mm-hmm. which, yeah. Um, so they love that. And it's it's very exciting to share that with them and also important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that they want to be a part of yeah. it. That yeah, they're yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not off on their phone. <laughs> no, I mean, believe me, they want to, to uh-huh. see things on their phone all the time. Uh-huh. But, you know, we have to limit it. <laughs> that said, they also just like, they see what it's like to read something and go to the theater and you know they they live in rehearsal rooms you know Mm. so actually what it means to tell this story I think is a different thing for them than it was for me because for me you know I didn't speak Spanish when I I mean I didn't speak English when I first went to school I was Mm. only speaking Spanish in my house Mm -hmm. my grandmother who was who I just visited she she still doesn't speak English Mm -hmm. you know they're actually there right now you know Mm. so that but the relationship is different because I think that for us it was just very very much a part of an everyday existence that it was embedded and and I do think that with their generations which is two generations removed at this point Mm -hmm. it is very much about like keeping that story alive and making a very concerted effort not to forget it to make sure that it's alive and well and kicking and because there's so much that just hasn't been you know shared yet so um, there is there is an effort to do that. And food is one of those things, you know, it helps you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and on that note, how, you know, in your process, how have you discovered food as, as maybe a way to work through mm-hmm. some of, yeah, some of the heartache, some of the separation? I think talking about also talking about food is an interesting thing, because y- it's a place of it's not just a place of where you can feel sadly at moments division it's more a place of connectivity Mm. i think you Mm -hmm. know like i was i mean i have this i i recently not maybe a couple years ago i think um right after like when we first got vaccines this is how Mm. i remember like (laughs) because it was like the first vaccines were out and it was the first assignment i went on and i had Mm. to do a story on tampa and i hadn't been in tampa to tampa in so long Mm -hmm. and um chef uh douglas rodriguez is that his name i think it's his name i hope hmm. i'm not messing it up but anyway he's amazing he started uh restaurants here in miami a long time ago and then you know has this wonderful restaurant called florfina hmm. and I, I talk about this because i was at the restaurant and um i was having uh their black beans i was mm. like writing about tampa and of course i'm gonna include restaurants and food sure. and all these things and I was having the black beans and I was like, oh, my God, I literally started crying. And this is what I'm saying, that it's it's something that presses buttons in you in a very different way. And it was because and this goes back to this play, mm-hmm. because you could taste the sugar in there 
you could taste the pieces of the recipe that actually root back to the one that my mom used to make, which mm. roots back to a Nitsa Viapol recipe, which is actually in this place. So it's, it's this really thick, beautiful, interconnected fabric of what that what that does. So, That's I mean, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it transports us. Mm-hmm. Our guest today is Vanessa Garcia here on Sundial. I'm Kate Payne. Vanessa is a Cuban-American playwright, author, and essayist from Miami. If you missed any part of our conversation, all Sundial episodes are available on our daily podcast. So, Vanessa, I wanted to ask you about, I mean, for one thing, we've talked a lot about your new play Mm -hmm. that's out uh, at the Miracle Theater right now, but you have worked in so many different mediums. (laughs) Uh, There's poetry, there's essays in all sorts of publications, Washington Post, HuffPost, The Guardian, Mm -hmm. uh, your children's book. Uh, you're doing so much. <laughs> so how, how do you decide, you know, what is the, the medium for the work yeah. you're wrestling with, you know, right now? Yeah, I mean, I think of, of writing as one unified, you know, animal, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this this vehicle that you, you're, you're using. You're just figuring out how you get words to do the thing you need them to do. Mm-hmm. And then for me, I say, okay, like, how are these words going to do this thing? Is it better through, you know, an engine of dialogue that's going to get to you through a certain place? Or is it this thing that, no, you know what? Actually, you need to have this on your own by yourself. You need to take this in, think about it. It's like an essay, you know, you need mm-hmm. to like actually really receive it. And you do think about the audience in that way. Like, how can they hear it? How can they listen to the thing that you're trying to figure out? Sometimes you're trying to figure it out yourself, you know, Um, but I do go back to this idea of like, it's this constant act of translation and then and therefore which which vehicle is it going to best be translated in, you know, like come across. So so, yeah, it's it's basically it's that, you know, it's finding that that engine that works the best for the story you want to tell and like Mm -hmm. how you want it to imprint on the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, how you want it to be delivered. Exactly. And what that conversation is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And a lot of collaboration as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like a lot of sort of immersive experiences yeah. of trying to sort of shift the dynamics in, in your playwriting, you mm-hmm. know, between the audience and the stage and the actors. Yes. Of trying to break down some of those those yes. barriers. Yeah. So so after um, after the Ampado experience, mm-hmm. which is the show we were talking about earlier, you know, one of the things that had been leading up to that and then, you know, was really sort of shown at that moment to like sort of exemplified that the an audience reacts a certain way when it feels activated and that doesn't mean like you know it doesn't mean that you have to like literally physically like speak back or anything like that people freak out you know (laughs) it's like no it's just you're you're not a passive viewer Mm -hmm. you know like you are actually active in the sense of like something inside you is awakened Mm -hmm. so how do you do that you know um and in in, you know in that experience people actually were walking through an experience and you know, quote unquote, living it, mm-hmm. not just to Moving fly on the, the wall, house. but uh-huh. living it, uh-huh. you know, which is different. Um, so after that, you know, the the director on that show and I, her name is Victoria Collado, and mm-hmm. I created a company called Abre Camino Collective, which is um, opening paths. That's mm-hmm. what it translates into. But we definitely the the focus of that has been, you know, how it's we call it radical storytelling. But mm-hmm. how do you tell a story? 
And again, it goes back to the same things. Like, how do you actually convey these things that you want to talk about and explore and have the audience be a part of it? Because we all have all these stories, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, So definitely immersive theater making is part of the the picture now and and going into the future, like what that experience is all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems like in so much of your work, you know, across all of these mediums of essays and uh, playwriting, so much of it is about home and mm-hmm. identity uh, and the stories of Cuba, you know, that, that came down through your family uh, and, and their experiences. Yeah. And you had the opportunity to go to Cuba yourself, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, uh, on the, the cruise, the first yeah. cruise from the United States in, in 50 years to yeah. the island. What was that decision like for one of of yeah of going there so i had i had gone to cuba i've gone to cuba several times but Mm -hmm. it took me about 30 years to actually make that happen meaning i went about four times very quickly and in you know like one after the other um uh, but m- the first time I went was with my mother uh, hmm. and it took me like I, I had gotten to a point where I said, you know, I'm writing about this place that I have never stepped foot on. And I actually responsibly need to, you know, as as someone who's writing about this, I need to actually go and see it. I need to yourself. go and be there. And I and I understood what it meant for for family members. I absolutely understood what it meant to say I'm not going back as long as there's a dictatorship that Mm -hmm. kicked me out of my own country and that everything I do to step in there is to assist that dictatorship. I I understand that 100%. Mm -hmm. And then and on top of that, there was a I have to go because I'm writing about this because I need to then understand what LA Quince, I say this all the time, like where that street, where that intersection is. I need to know what that is. I need mm-hmm. to see certain things. Um, before the Amparo experience, I needed to go see the factory mm-hmm. where they, you know, the factory that they that they stole from the Arechavala family. Where they were you know? making the rum. And mm-hmm. they were making this, you know, <laughs> falsified, you know, rum, mm-hmm. essentially. So I, I definitely um, needed to do that. And my mother, you know, I, there were many instances where she like <laughs> it was it was very hard at some point I had to throw away tickets you know throw them literally when they used to cost they used to cost like you had to do a charter and this was like back many 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 years ago and it was like $500 tickets which at the time was like what the equivalent of like 800 to a you know yeah <laughs> so I literally remember having to flush them down the toilet at one point yeah ah. because it was like I, f- I thought my mom was gonna die you know so that said, jump forward a couple of years after that moment, and um, I'm like 30 years old at that time, something like that. And I tell her, you know, mom, I'm, I'm going to go. I have to go. And I would like your blessing. And she said, well, I'll go with you. Wow. Mm-hmm. So and she so came with me. So that was not the cruise. The cruise came <laughs> after. So, But for, for your mom, I yes, mean, massive. when, when you're standing there and you're flushing tickets down the toilet yes. because you think it's going to be the death of her yeah. and then for her to say I'll Huge. go with you yeah I yeah. mean what was that moment like you know I was talking to actually a, a, another Pedro Ban like what they called mm-hmm. the kids uh, yesterday and he was like grappling with this very question which was you know I am of this place and I and I you know I haven't even been allowed back in mm-hmm. you know this person hadn't even been allowed back in but the the real visceral desire to see the home that raised you Mm -hmm. you know and that on one level you know and to to actually show that to your kids I, i will never forget getting on that airplane and getting off that airplane with my mom because of course 
you know, it took 30 years to get to this trip. And then mm-hmm. the trip is like two seconds long. We <sighs> live, we're 90 miles. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's more than that's 200 and something from here. But mm-hmm. like, you know, um, it's it's a Coca-Cola in the air and you come back down. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And but also an eternity. Exactly. You know? And what was so like I can't have said it better than the person who was sitting behind me and my mom and I both remember this very vividly it was like all the we heard her and she's like wow all the years it took to get here in such a short flight and Mm. it's it's just that it exemplifies so much Mm -hmm. you know so we got off on on you know on the tarmac essentially (laughs) because you still get off Uh you know and um and she she was in front of me and she broke down halfway through yeah 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 and i i was i i it's a very very impact impactful trip and then there was a moment where she was you know just by herself looking at the malecon i was right behind Mm -hmm. her and you know many things that happened on that trip and um you know it was very 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 important i think for both of us um part of her i think was scared even me at 30 to like let me go (laughs) you know it's very motherly like now as a mother i understand you Uh know um but then later you know i had done that and then i said okay now there's gonna be this this cruise ship right i had gone on that trip with her and we had you know this really important very impactful moment for the two of you very um and then you know this cruise ship was gonna leave and there was all of this that was happening and i thought oh i have to report on this i Mm -hmm. actually have to do this and i have to do it in a way that is not the sort of like it's not the the one that's registered with the government because essentially and this is actually what happened like with the journalists they took them to a certain point then they took them to a theater and then they flew them back home Mm. they didn't actually stay on the entire trip Mm-hmm. Um, so a pretty sanitized, very, pretty like very curated view, view. Yes. Yeah. a very curated view of mm-hmm. everything. Right. It was like, here is what you're going to see. And here mm-hmm. is what you will report, mm-hmm. which is what they do. You know, um, so I said, I can't do that. That's not real storytelling. Mm-hmm. And that's not the truth. So I just I went as a person and knowing that I would write about it, mm-hmm. you know, and then uh, I was I went by myself and um, the day before. I told my mom, I was like, mom, Mm. I'm doing this thing. And I thought she was just going to like lose it. But it was almost like the first trip kind of like trained her for it. And then, you know, so then I did it. And I think they all held their breath until I came back. And then Uh I came back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, she's okay. Yeah. Made it out. And then I came back and I wrote that piece, which I think was really also very important Mm -hmm. in, in for... For me, definitely, but I was actually like, you know, I think it ma- it mattered to write it from the inside out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gone two more times, and the last time that I went, it really felt like it was the last time in a very long time, and I don't know when the next time will be because I was actually threatened, and it was not a mm. nice experience. And so, um, not that it's ever, you know, that it's such a silly word, nice, you know, but the the I felt that it would I was getting close to my that like threatening the kind of limit yeah what happened um it was people were following us essentially Mm. and you could feel it and also then at some point you know someone had said something like oh if you look over there you know if you go in there you'll sing and he was pointing at a at a via marista which is where they send people and torture them so there's this whole like Mm. language around 
you know and that trip was the trip where we actually like went and went to see the Havana Club factory and all this stuff we went also just looking and just as people mm -hmm. and you know who were you with on that trip um I, on that trip I had gone with my uh, creative partner so with Victoria who who we have the company with them because mm -hmm. we were creating the piece together the Amparo experience the Amparo experience mm -hmm. yeah so we sort of knew like we're about to make this thing we might not be able to go back soon mm -hmm. um and I had already been very vocal um, so, you know, you don't, you, you don't know when that's going to happen, but I think it was a very uncomfortable trip. It was very different than the first trip with my mother, mm -hmm. very different when the second one it was a different kind of stress. And then the third one, I went with a group of writers and we were a group of, you know, Cuban American writers that were sort of like seeing writers and artists over there, kind of like an exchange. And then on the fourth one, I was like, oh, this is. This is something else now. Mm -hmm. yeah. And maybe, maybe the last one. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I want to ask too, you know, what's coming up next for you? So many things. <laughs> 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 there, yeah. There's a lot of things, you know, there's, there's the things you can't talk about, which are always very okay. exciting, okay. but then I'll talk about, you know, things that are, that are bubbling, that are also about food, just to like put mm -hmm. this whole thing together, which is, um, uh, we're working on, Abre Camino is working on, um something and also an immersive dining experience mm. that's going to happen uh next year at steven's deli um it's Where in hialeah okay. it's in hialeah and it's the oldest jewish deli in south florida wow. and i believe i'm not i hope i'm saying that right um but the point is that jewish delis in general are dying mm. and kush hospitality managed to like really sort of save this one because hmm. they managed to bring together the Cuban and the Jewish story of Hialeah because Hialeah was Jewish first mm -hmm. um, and then like those two layers coming mm -hmm. together inside their menu inside wow. their decorations mm -hmm. inside the the whole living breathing animal that is Stevens mm -hmm. so we thought you know like um, there's a there's a woman there named uh, Christy Cernuda who has this day that is coming up actually it's I, I won't say the name because we can't say it on radio but it's essentially <laughs> like a, a day where quote-unquote um commemorate the death of castro oh, okay <laughs> it's very interesting but anyway the point is that from that seed um she wanted she was like you know there's this moment that happened that was important but there's also the something that can come from this that is elevated mm -hmm. and that really tells the story. And so she reached out to us, to our company, and we started talking. Well, now we're obsessed with this idea of bringing the Jewish and Cuban stories mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And honestly, it like it couldn't be more timely, mm -hmm. you know, um, and hopefully next year for the anniversary of Hialeah, 100 years, we wow. will have that happening. Yeah. 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 So we'll watch out for that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa Garcia. It's been so thank wonderful you. to talk with you uh, about everything you have going on. And again, uh, Sweet Goats and Blueberry Senoritas at the Actors Playhouse in Coral Gables through December 3rd. And that's Sundial for Monday, November 20th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Our producer is Elisa Baena. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our Director of Live Programming. Peter J. Mears is WLRN's VP of Radio. Our engineer is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Search WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the show, what happens when you invite all your favorite authors to Key West 
It's the literary equivalent of the NBA All-Star Game. The director of Key West Literary Seminar joins us. I'm Kate Payne. Good vibes only.